Hello, Christ Prez. During this Lenten season, we've been doing our humility deep dive and exploring the claim that the entire Christian life is meant to lead us into humility. Last week, we looked at the humility of discipleship, and we saw that Jesus radically inverts the values of our world when it comes to greatness. True greatness in Jesus' kingdom is not about power and prestige, but about humble, self-giving love. Following Jesus means following him on this way. In the community that Jesus is creating, the way to be the greatest is to be the least. The way to strength is through weakness. The way to fullness is to empty yourself. The way to be happy is to seek the happiness of other people. The way to freedom is through radical submission. The way to find yourself is not to put yourself first, but to pour yourself out in service to God and others. The way to go up is to go down. You know, which all sounds fine and good, uh, but remember our tendency is to hear this but not receive it. Jesus says, let this sink into your ears because he knows that our instinct is to resist it and to reject it. Well, let's try to let this sink in. I mean, what is Jesus really asking of us? The way up is down, fine. But we might wonder how far down? And the answer is all the way. You see, humility doesn't only involve having an accurate assessment of yourself. It doesn't only involve putting the needs of others before your own. It doesn't only involve teachability and a modest self-presentation. It involves death. It means dying. So let's get at this through the lens of our passage. Uh, It's a familiar story. Jesus is setting out on his way to Jerusalem. And as he's setting out, here comes a man who asks Jesus what he must do to have eternal life, real life, true life, abundant life. This is a man who wants to know how he can really live. And isn't that all of us? Aren't we people who want to know how we can truly live? how to have life and to have it in all its glorious fullness. Well, Jesus and the man go back and forth a little while about what God's law says about how to really live. Uh, Real life, it turns out, is about loving God and loving other people. And the guy tells Jesus, well, yeah, I do that. I've, I've done that since I was little. And Jesus says, okay, but there's one more thing. You haven't died yet. If you want real life, you need to die. Only Jesus doesn't say it quite like that. What Jesus actually says is this, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That's what Jesus says. But I wonder what the man hears. I mean, here is a man that has for years learned to take responsibility for his own well-being and his security and his happiness. And how has he done it? By putting himself first, by looking out for his own interests, by seeking his own comfort, by amassing wealth. I mean, this is his life. And I'm not sure that we're so different. I mean, this is how we all learn how to um, take responsibility for our lives. I know that my instinct is to think I am responsible for me. I assume on some deep level that I'm the one who's ultimately responsible for securing my life and giving it meaning. It's like I think that I can give myself real life, abundant life, eternal life. 
It's interesting that in the passage right before this one, Jesus says that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. He says that the kingdom belongs to children. In other words, it belongs, remember, to the last and the least. It belongs to the small. It goes to the ones who have nothing, maybe, but neediness. You know, children come to Jesus with nothing and they receive everything. And by contrast, this man comes to Jesus with everything. And it's like Jesus is saying, you're way too big. It's like he's saying, go small or go home. The man hears the real message within the message. He hears Jesus say, one thing you lack, you need to die. And only then will you really live. Now, Notice that Jesus isn't playing games with this guy. I mean, he really is answering the man's deepest question and our deepest question. How can we have eternal life? How, how can we have life in all its glorious fullness? I mean, he's telling the man and he's telling us exactly what is needed. It's just not what the man wants to hear. To him, this sounds like the opposite of abundant life. It sounds like death. Sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and come follow me. Go small or go home. And so he goes home. Instead of following Jesus, he goes away sorrowful. Why? Because Jesus has just told him that the way to have real life is to die. And he doesn't want to die. And neither do we. But what if that's the only way to really live? If you haven't been able to join us on Wednesday evenings for the Humility Talks, I encourage you to go back and check them out. All the recordings are up now on the website, and they've all been really excellent. Um, The past few days, I've been thinking a lot about what Donnie Davis shared with us this past week. To summarize a little bit, and hopefully without spoiling it for you, because I really do hope you'll go and listen to the whole thing, Um, I mean, Donnie basically said that um, our biggest problem with humility isn't so much about mistaken notions of what humility is, and it's not about living with different forms of false humility. No, our real problem with humility is that we don't trust that it's good for us. And that seems right to me. I mean, when Donnie said that, I thought, yeah, that, that resonates. Our biggest problem is not that we don't know what the invitation is. Our biggest problem is about trusting the one who gives the invitation. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And we hear that and we immediately want to sanitize it. Our minds begin racing to find ways to explain that what Jesus says isn't what he actually means. But what if it is exactly what he means? I mean, if, if we just face it fully, this is a call to die. Criminals sentenced to death by crucifixion would carry the beam of their cross to the place of their execution. So it's, it's a vivid, horrible image. Jesus is saying, I'm going to a cross, and if you follow me, you're going to a cross. He's saying, I'm going to die, and so following me means that you're going to die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer opens his classic work, The Cost of Discipleship, with the memorable sentence, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. There it is. 
I mean, Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, come and die. Now remember, the goal is emphatically not death. The goal is life, real life, abundant life, eternal life. But as with everything else in God's kingdom, the way there is completely reversed, entirely inverted. If you want to follow Jesus, who is himself true life, deny yourself and take up your cross. If you really want to live, die. Our biggest problem is not that we don't know what the invitation is. Our biggest problem is that we don't entirely trust the one who gives the invitation. I mean, hasn't that always been our biggest problem? All it took was a talking snake in the beginning to get us doubting God's goodness and distrusting his love. We look at the riches of our lives. We hear the invitation of Jesus to leverage our lives for the sake of others in radical, other-oriented humility. And the big problem is not with knowledge and it's not about know-how. The big problem is with trust. Can we really trust Jesus with our lives? Today is Palm Sunday. It's the first day of Holy Week. It's a day when we remember Jesus entering into Jerusalem as a king. Of course, the way he does it is unexpected and surprising. Everyone expected that when the Messiah showed up, he would show up as a political revolutionary. He would raise an army. He would ride into Jerusalem, he'd wipe out the Romans, and he would once and for all liberate God's people. That's how he would bring true life. And and this is what powerful kings do, right? I mean, they ride in on their war horses, they wield their swords, they wipe out the enemy, and then they set things right once and for all. And so just imagine what the disciples and the crowds are thinking as Jesus, this man who has spent the last three years of his life walking, nears Jerusalem, stops and says, hold up, it's time for me to ride. I mean, they're thinking, oh, it's about to get real. They're thinking it's finally happening. Jesus is going to go in and he's going to put evil down, which means he's going to take care of the Romans. He's going to end their occupation. I imagine that anyone in the crowd who had a sword is probably pulling it out and beginning to sharpen it. And that's when Jesus begins to talk about a donkey. Not a mighty steed, not a war horse. I mean, kings ride those because they provoke awe and fear. Jesus chooses a little donkey, and it's, uh, it's, it's a laughable image. He gets up on the donkey, and he begins to ride to Jerusalem, And then things get really strange because he's looking down from the Mount of Olives over the city. You remember this? And and he begins to weep. I mean, he's sobbing. It's awkward. The, The king is sitting on a donkey and he's crying. And we might wonder what's going on here. I mean, it's this strange, um, kind of paradoxical juxtaposition that at the very moment when Jesus is claiming the authority and greatness of the true king, He's also embracing this unheard of vulnerability and weakness. Which means that he's a different kind of king, right? I mean, most kings reject vulnerability. This one embraces it. 
Most kings would pick a mighty stallion. This one chooses a little donkey. Most kings would hide their tears. If they cry at all, they do it behind closed doors. But this one openly weeps as he looks out over the city that he loves. I want you to keep that image in your mind as you move through Holy Week. Um, Here is Jesus sitting on this donkey, looking out over the city, and he's crying. I mean, he's the only one who knows that at the bottom of the hill is waiting for him, not a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns. He's the only one who knows that he's not going to be seated on a throne, but nailed to a cross. He knows that everything before him from this point on is betrayal and abandonment and torture and death. He knows that what awaits him is not the blessing, but the curse. I mean, Jesus knows that he is riding down to his death. And he doesn't turn around. That's what I would have done. If I knew all that was down there, I would have turned that donkey around and ridden off into the sunset as fast as his little donkey legs could carry me. But not Jesus. Jesus takes the plunge. He rides the donkey down off the mountain, all the way down into the depths. Can we really trust Jesus, this donkey riding Jesus, with our lives? And I wonder if what we're really asking is, can we trust Jesus with our deaths? Can we trust that true life is on the other side of each of the little deaths to self Jesus invites us to now? And can we trust that there is true life on the other side of our final deaths when we return to dust? Trusting that the way to eternal life is through death. It's really hard. I mean, it's hard for all kinds of reasons. I mean, just to name a few, for one thing, we just don't like thinking about death. I mean, we're, we're so uncomfortable with the, with the notion of death, with the reality of death. Uh, It's such an abstraction for us. John Calvin writes, We undertake all things as if we were establishing immortality for ourselves on earth. If we see a dead body, we may philosophize briefly about the fleeting nature of death. But the moment we turn away from the sight, the thought of our own perpetuity remains fixed in our minds. We live as if we're not going to die. It's hard to come to terms with the inevitability of our own deaths. We think that real life is to be had here and now, not on the other side of death. And you see, even if we practice preparing ourselves to die well through little deaths to self, I mean, that still often feels like, well, little death, not life. And even if we practice and prepare for our own deaths really well, I mean, the reality is that we just don't have all that much say about when and how we die. Add to that the fact that death is so often senseless and tragic and uh, extremely sad. And, And we have some pretty good reasons for distrusting Jesus' invitation to come and die. Can we trust him with our deaths? One of the crazy claims the Apostle Paul makes is that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, our lives 
even right here and right now, are absolutely secure in God. Like in a real, however mysterious way, we have already died in Christ and we have already been raised from the dead in Christ and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. If that's true, I mean, we have nothing to lose by giving ourselves away in selfless love. Humility isn't a threat to our lives, not in the least. I mean, not even humility that leads to death. It's actually an expression of who we really are. People who have already died and been given real life in Christ. People who are free now to be conformed to the image of Christ, even conformed to his death, as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. But the invitation to the humility of death is still hanging there. You lack one thing, Jesus says. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I wonder what happened to that rich young ruler. His interaction with Jesus gets the disciples talking about the possibility of salvation, you know, the possibility of eternal life for anyone. If that guy can't have it, who can have it then? Jesus says that what's impossible with us is possible with God because all things are possible with God. Maybe even humility maybe even death, maybe even eternal life. And so I wonder about that rich young ruler, and I wonder about you and me. I mean, did he ever trust Jesus with his death and with his life? Will we ever trust Jesus with our deaths and with our lives? Mark never tells us what happened to the rich young ruler, but he does give us a wonderful little detail. He tells us that before Jesus invited the man to die, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Mark doesn't tell us this, but I wonder if after the man walked away disheartened and sorrowful days later, maybe hours later, he remembered that look. Maybe he realized that Jesus actually loved him. Maybe he understood for the first time and really trusted that the invitation to die was really an invitation to true life because it was an invitation to follow Jesus and to be with Jesus, to be with him in his death and to be with him in his resurrection. I don't know. I mean, Mark doesn't tell us what happened to the rich young ruler. Unless maybe he does. I mean, we get a little detail in Mark chapter 14 that uh, none of the other gospel writers include. We're told that after all the disciples had fled from Jesus, a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. Now it's only speculation, but maybe, just maybe, This is the rich young ruler because he couldn't get that look of love 
out of his mind. And so he did what felt like death. He humbled himself. He sold all his possessions and he gave them to the poor. He kept for himself only a linen garment. I don't know. I like the possibility that this might have been the rich young ruler, that Jesus' look of love led him to the humility of death. And he responded to the invitation and he followed Jesus to the end. Well, I mean, almost to the end, not quite to the end. Because Mark tells us that when the Roman seized this young man, he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. I mean, he fled just like all the other disciples fled. And and just like you and I, I think, are, are tempted to flee from death. We want nothing to do with it. When the opportunity came to follow Jesus all the way into death and through it, this young man had a failure of nerve, a failure of nerve. And um, pay attention to that as we move through this Holy Week together. Pay attention to the fact that in the end, Jesus is alone. I mean, he goes it alone at the end. He goes it alone for people like us who are afraid of death and who flee from it and who are too weak to pull off faithfulness with any kind of consistency. And still Jesus rides the donkey down into the city. Still Jesus plunges down into the depths. Why? Love. Jesus looks at you and he loves you. And so God enters into our sin and our suffering and even into our deaths and he makes it all his own. And you see, he dies not so that we won't have to die, but so that our deaths will lead us to him. You know, in the end, family, every one of us will die. We'll die to ourselves in a very literal way. I mean, one way or another, everything will be stripped away. We will lose absolutely everything. Except if the gospel is true, one thing. Jesus will look at us and he will love us. There will come a time when we will have nothing but the unswerving love of God holding us and holding us in our deaths and holding us through our deaths. And I wonder, family, can we trust that this is enough? And if it is enough, if it's enough for us in the end, can it be enough for us right here and right now? Loved like this, so loved, can we count others right here, right now, as more significant than ourselves? Can we look to the interests of one another? Can we have this mind among us, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, didn't exploit his divinity, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Well, may it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.